All righty, folks. We've been talking for a few weeks about the greater work of God that's done in Christ. And we were looking at Ephesians 2 last week, and just going to bring that back to your mind a little bit. In Ephesians 2, I've got to get to Ephesians. I'm in Hebrews, and as much as they are both dealing with Christ, it's not what I wanted to uh, read. <laughs> so Ephesians 2, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man boast, for we are his workmanship. Notice this, it's not of works, but we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, Where the work of God is what Paul's writing. And as the work of God, we're created unto good works. And I said last week, this word workmanship means product. It's, it's what God did to develop the product that we call the church. Now, when you look at good works, you come back. I, I want you to turn back to Genesis 1. Because a lot of times we think of good works, we think of, you, you know, just doing this and doing that, what we say, what we don't say, so on and so forth. And, and all these things have, a, uh, have the rightful place. But we can get caught up into all, in all kinds of things and not come to God's work. In Genesis 1.21, and if you go through the whole creation story in Genesis 1, you see God's work. In verse 21, it says, And God created great wells and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw what? That it was good. So here is a picture of God's good work in the natural dealing with the natural creation, you come down to the end of this creation story. In verse 31, after God had made the man, told him to be fruitful and multiplied, he said, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were 
the sixth day. So we have God's work as being good. All right. Then you go to Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work, which God had created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. All right, so he took the man and he put him in his work. I want you to see this. God created the heaven and earth, and he took the man that he created and he put him in his work. And the man was to live out of that work. All the man had to do was to keep the work. That's all that Adam was really charged to do. You know, we, we read this, and a mist come up and watered the ground. So, and the lamb was filled with gold, medallion, onyx stone, verse 12. A river flowed through the garden, and it parted into four heads. And he made for the man every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food and tree of life in the midst of the garden, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. So he took the man, put him in his work. So, so man was put into God's work. And Adam was told, of every tree you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day you eat of it, you shall die. So, so what I see here, you know, when you read over in Ephesians, that were his workmanship created unto good works. Here, Adam was created unto God's work. He was actually designed to live in the work of God. That was what he was designed as a natural man to live and keep what God had done. And I see this so much in the body of Christ that, that we are to live and keep what Christ has done in the death, burial, and resurrection, that that's what we are to do. We are to dwell and live and keep what he's done. This, this same pattern is, is in the children of Israel. We, we talked about this last week, how the children of Israel, if you go back to the book of Exodus, just a few scriptures there. It says in Exodus 15, 
verse 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And the greatness of thine excellency, thou shalt overthrow them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. Now, verse 13. Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Verse 17. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O the Lord, which thy hands hath made. So God had brought this people out of Egypt into a relationship with him. And Israel coming out of Egypt into this relationship, what they had to do was keep it. Do <laughs> you see the same picture Adam's put in the garden? Adam's given provision. Adam has all the provision he could probably ever desire as well as far as a natural man. And all he had to do was keep the work of God because God did the work. And it's the same way with Israel. Israel couldn't get out of Egypt. So God had to come down and he brought them out of Egypt to enter into the land of promise. And what happened to Egypt or, or Israel? They refused to enter into the land. So they refused to keep God's work. That's really what they did. They, cut, they had come through the Red Sea. They had, they had seen with their eyes the Lord roll back the waters of the Red Sea. And they walked over the land on dry ground. But yet they come up to Canaan and they said, hey, we can't enter in here. And I was reading that story. Before I read that, and not it's in Numbers, I just want to read you a scripture in, in Deuteronomy where the Lord said, every place where the sole of your feet treads will be yours. So God was telling them, everywhere you go in this new land, you got it. Now, in the natural, you would think if you saw him plague the Egyptians the way he did and, and part the Red Sea, and do all the things he had done for them, that maybe they would believe him, don't you? You would think. Now, it's just natural. But they, but they come right up to the door of their salvation, their abundance of life. Right up to the door of a land flowing with milk and honey, and I and I looked at this today, and I said, "Oh my Lord!" In Numbers thirteen twenty-seven, and then Numbers fourteen, a couple places numbered, but thirteen twenty-seven. And these spies that went in the land, they give this account to Moses. And they gave this account to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us. And indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit. Nevertheless, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large. 
And of the Negab, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We must go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him replied, We cannot go up against the people, for they are strong, stronger than we are. So they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had spied out. The land we explored devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there are great in stature. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of the Anak that come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own sight. And we must have seemed the same to them. Now turn over chapter 20, chapter 14. And the Lord spoke to him in verse 23, and he says to him, Not one will ever see the land that I swear to give to their fathers. Him speaking to uh, Moses, I believe here. None of those that have treated me with contempt will see it. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of the Israelites are making against me. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. They said, he should just let us die in the wilderness. He should just let us go back to the Egyptians. And God said, I'm going to do to them exactly as they say. Your bodies will fall in this wilderness. So see, God that had brought them forth with an outstretched hand and done all the signs and miracles in Egypt, led them and fed them with manna, caused the water to come from the rock. This people come up to the land and grumble and said, we're not able to possess the land. Why didn't you just let us die in the wilderness? Why didn't you just let us go back to Egypt? So God says, I'll let, I'm going to do to you exactly what you said, and you're going to die in this wilderness. You're not going to cross over and go into the land. Now, this stirred me as I was reading this because I'm concerned that many of God's people live in this situation where God has given us all fullness in Christ. God has given us the mountain, so to speak, flowing with milk and honey. And I'm afraid he gives sometimes exactly what we say. Now, I may be out of line, and there's just a few of us on this on this Zoom, but I'm going to present this. And, and I'm not telling you it's of the Lord. I'm just setting it before you. You know, 
you see this tragedy and mess that's in the earth today, in the natural. Christians have been asking for doom and gloom. I don't know as long as I've been saved. I hear preachers declaring doom and gloom. This, this is what Israel declared. They declared to the Lord. We, we can't go into that land. And he gave them what they said. He gave it to them. But those of a different heart, a different spirit, Joshua and Caleb and those that were hearing the voice of God out of that people, so to speak, they were going to go in and eat the good of the land. But the others were going to die in the wilderness. Your bodies will fall in the wilderness. All who are numbered in the census, everyone 20 years of age or older, because you've grumbled against me. Surely none of you will enter the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, son of Jephna, and Joshua, son of Nun. But I will bring your children, whom you said would become plunder, into the land you've rejected. Listen to that. Into the land that you have rejected. Now, I believe in, in the church system, it's not all out of rejection, but some of it may be. It's out of a lot of the systems out of misunderstanding. But God's people won't enter into rest. God's people that, that he's given rest to. See, see, he's given us rest in Christ Jesus. Many of God's people, many Christians, have no rest. So how can they go into a situation with other Christians and minister rest if they aren't walking in rest themselves? How can they minister peace if they don't know what peace is or righteousness or joy? See, see, I, see we like to quote scriptures. Joy cometh in the morning. And, and then they don't see the light of the new day. So if I don't come to the joy of the day, the joy of the morning, the joy of the light of the new day, how then do I ever enter into the joy of the Lord? Because it comes through His light. So if I won't enter into His light, it's, it's like this work of God that's been going on in my heart, and I, and I see this so strong. I think Brother James says some, said something a few weeks ago that I say often. If I could lay my hands on people and pray for them, I would give them what I have. I just lay my hands on their head and say, God, bring them into this great rest. 
But what God has to do is work His rest in you through the revealing of Jesus Christ. And if I won't submit myself to His revealing, I don't know how then I can enter into His rest. Because Jesus kind of summed it up, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh or entereth but by me. So, so if I don't come to a seeing of him, how then can I receive the rest of God? It comes through a working of God in us. And that's, and that's what we have in Christ is this great work that God did in Christ to be revealed in our hearts and in our minds that we can dwell in the goodness of the land, that we can dwell in safety, security, wholeness, wellness, that we know what life is, that we, that we in a surety of the Lord are walking from his work that he's done in Christ, raised us up, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You, you're talking about a work you know, if you look at Ephesians 1 and 2 together, and we've read Ephesians 1 the last, I think, three weeks at least. Paul praying that the eyes of her heart be enlightened in the knowledge of Christ, that we would see the mighty work that God did in him when he raised him from the dead, and he said, this work is to you. And comes down and says, the church is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And then, and then chapter 2, he says, And you that were dead, have he quickened? <laughs> he, he tells you in chapter 1, he quickened Christ, right? In chapter 2, he's quickened the church as one with him, seated with him, raised with him, seated with him, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And see, See, what's fulfilled here is what God said back in Isaiah. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. I create Jerusalem a rejoicing. He's created a people that's dwelling right in the very presence of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You're talking about a rejoicing God is our strength because he dwells within us and we dwell within his presence because we're raised up, seated together as one in Christ in the heavens. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. This is what we have to possess. All the fullness of God that's in Christ Jesus. Everything God did in Christ is ours to possess because we're his body. So we say we're 
more than conquerors. Well, what does that mean? We quote these scriptures like, like uh, was coming before me tonight. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. We like to quote these scriptures. Christians do anyway. And then we don't know why no weapon formed against us will prosper. We say, well, that's what the Bible said. Okay, yeah, it says that. And it means that, but why? Because he died, he was buried, and he raised from the dead. And when he died, we died with him. We were buried. And we were raised with him from the dead. And we dwell in his fullness. He's our head, and all principalities and powers have to submit to him. Therefore, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Not just because we can quote the scripture, no weapon formed against us will prosper. It's true because what Jesus did. It's true that we're more than conquerors because what he did. Because he's made real in us, and then it becomes true we're more than conquerors. We're more than able, like Caleb, to take this mountain to enter in to what God had promised in Christ. We're more than able because he's given us access. He's made a way for us. And we enter in through him. So he's given us the ability to walk in and have dominion because he did it. The same way in the old covenant that God brought Israel out and God brought them into Canaan and the reason they could enter in there was the Lord did it. Hallelujah. Not because, looks like what Paul said, not of your works. Not of your works. Israel couldn't enter in. When, when after, after Moses told Israel, hey, you're not going to take this land. They got together and said, well, we're going to go after those, uh, I forget which ones it was, the, some of the Canaanites, we're going to go take them now. And Moses said, you're not going to win. You're in trouble because God's not going with you. You've already rejected his word, and what you've said is going to happen to you. You're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to reap what you sowed, man. And so they go out to fight the, I believe it's the Malachites, or whichever one of them it is. And what happens to them? They kill them, pulverize them, defeat them, because God's not in their midst. Because they didn't come out of Egypt through their own strength. They didn't come through the Red Sea through their own will. They didn't gain manna from heaven by themselves they didn't drink it the water from the rock because they were special god provided he was the lord their provider he rained down manna from heaven their shoes didn't wear out you can go on and on about the provision of god the provision of god was in their midst that they would enter the land. The reason the provision of God was in the midst was so they would go in and enter the land and come to his holy habitation and dwell in his presence. 
That was the purpose. And see, see, we go on about the provision of God without understanding why he's given us provision so we can go in and enter and live and dwell in his presence. That's why we have provision. That's why, that's why there's abundance of his life so that we can live in his presence because without the abundance of his life, I can't live there. I can't get there. I, I was looking, and and and, I, and I'm going to stop here in a minute. I was looking at Israel in the meeting for this morning, and I was just sitting before the Lord and just kind of overwhelmed with the Lord of how the Lord was bringing a people out to Himself, and they were going to be His people, and He was going to be their God, and how that in the midst of them He put His word that the way they were going to become his God, he put his word. Ain't that something? Christ in you, the word of God in you, that how you become his people is he's put his word in you. And he unfolds his word in you and he makes you his through his word. And you see that type and shadow in Israel. In fact, in Israel, in the natural, their whole life, revolved day in day out what it revolved around the word of god it was daily it was like the manna raining from heaven while they were out in the wilderness they had to come down and daily eat that bread so there was a daily provision of the word of god in type and shadow given to them the provision that was to allow them to enter into the land. And see, that's what God does. He daily gives us the word. And you see that in the temple. As they come into the temple and the light's lit by the anointing oil, it's lit and you look there on the table and you see the bread. You see the provision of God. You see the show bread and we eat his flesh, and we drink his blood till we come into his life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That's, that's what he said. Unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you, you, you shall not have life. He said, this is how you get life, man. If you want to get life, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's how you enter into my life. See, Jesus tells us how to do it. <laughs> and he says, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So we eat him, and we drink of him, and we enter into his life. We enter into, so to speak, that third day or that third place in that temple, which is his life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, and that's the goal, to come to his presence, come to his life, come to his reality. That's the goal. That's what satisfies our hearts. That's what fills up our minds. That's what God's after. A people that's full of him, a people that's living in the abundance of the Lord where he's their abundance. Anyway, 
I'll stop here tonight. We'll see next week if we go further or we change the order. But I'll stop here.